Hello, I'm Richard Sargent, and this is Faith in Action, a podcast about how faith affects the way we live and work today. Working in PR is seldom confused with doing the Lord's work. As a profession, it seems to carry a reputation for telling the truth selectively, or indeed saying anything that isn't provably untrue for a fistful of dollars. But not for our guest today. Nick Daly is a hardened PR professional working for Hill and Knowlton as a crisis comms and reputation management specialist, a school for scandal. But he's also a Christian. The Bible says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. PR says, why choose? Nick, welcome. How did you come to work in PR? Thanks, Richard. I guess I, I backed my way into it, really. I began my career as a, as a journalist, uh, which is also perhaps not a profession with the best of reputations, and worked three years as a crime and police journalist in New Zealand, and then moved to London about 12 years ago and decided that PR was the way forward for me. And why was that? What was it about your experience as a journalist that might have pointed the way to PR? So it's it's a classic move from poacher turned gamekeeper, they say, a journalist becoming a PR professional, the protector of reputation rather than the one trying to find things out. Uh, there's a lot of variety in PR, and I feel like in the crisis comms in particular, there's a real opportunity to walk alongside people and organisations when they are at their most vulnerable, which is something I didn't necessarily do as a journalist. Did you come across any particular stories that stayed with you as a journalist while you are in New Zealand? Yeah, certainly one of the most poignant moments as a crime and police journalist was when I covered a, a murder and manslaughter case in the early 2000s. And it was a rather tragic story of a, a car that had driven into a, a crowd of people. And I covered the story at the Auckland High Court for a number of weeks. And it was quite emotional for all of the journalists who were covering it because there was a number of deaths and casualties involved. And the moment that really hit home to me about my role as a journalist in it is when the mother of one of the victims who had sadly passed away uh, called me after my front page story had run after the verdict was coming out. And I was somewhat anxious when I heard that she was on the phone waiting to speak to me, but she said she was calling just to thank me for the coverage and the way that I had covered the story and the balance that I had given, which hadn't necessarily been apparent in some of the other publications. So it was a moment of, um, of pride um, at my role, but also an awareness of the impact that I had as a journalist on the community around me. So you came to London and made your way into PR, but what do you actually do? What is PR and what do you enjoy about the job? PR is one of these sectors which is quite difficult to describe and the irony is not lost on me in that PR, uh, when it's all about protecting and promoting reputation, has something of a bad reputation itself. In a way, it's storytelling. It's storytelling on behalf of organisations and individuals to make sure that whatever they want to say is communicated to the people who need to hear it. And as with some of the best stories, the best stories are true, aren't they? And that's certainly what I like to focus on in my role now as a crisis communications specialist. I wonder, in the public sphere that you've seen, can you think of a a couple of examples, perhaps a, a crisis that's been really well managed that we've known about and, uh, and perhaps accepted and the company has recovered and perhaps a crisis that's been less well managed. Certainly one in the last 12 months that uh, received a lot of profile within the industry was the 
KFC chicken shortage. <laughs> yes. Where, funnily enough, a chicken shop runs out of chicken owing, owing to a, a supply chain issue, having recently changed supplier. Didn't work on this one myself, but credit to those that did. It was a brand that navigated the, the challenge with, with a lightheartedness, which was true to who they are and what they do. And they received plaudits up and down the UK and globally for the way they handled it. They demonstrated they were doing something about it, so they took it seriously in order to, to rectify the problem. But they communicated in a way which was lighthearted, understandable, quite funny and engaging. And perhaps a less successful campaign? Not necessarily a campaign. I felt sympathy for Theresa May in the wake of the Grenfell tragedy. I think she tried her very best to be empathetic, but I don't think her actions matched what was actually in her heart or in her head. Mm. And personally, I, I felt really sorry that she was almost unable to do what everybody wanted her to do. And you contrast her response to that kind of incident with the response of some other world leaders, for example, Obama's response to gun violence in the US, mm. or in my own country, Jacinda Ardern's response to the, the, the tragic terror events in Christchurch. There's an empathy from some leaders that emanates, and unfortunately, Theresa May wasn't able to achieve that in the wake of the Grenfell tragedy. Mm. Nick, I'd love to hear more about some of those examples that you've been involved with. But I wonder if we should first make the connection between faith and your work. How do you go about integrating faith and work together? Faith and PR can sound as though they're in some tension. Well, it's a great question. I think PR does have a bit of a bad reputation and where faith helps me is on the integrity side of things because there's something consistent that faith teaches us, that we should be the same inside the front door as we are outside of the front door. And I think with companies, if they can demonstrate that they are doing that, then even when they might make mistakes, which they will do because companies are made of people and people are inherently fallible, then there's grace for that. If an organisation can demonstrate that actually, in most of cases, it does act with integrity and it tries to do the right thing. And I think that's why nowadays we're seeing a lot of communication, not only in the PR industry, but more broadly in society about the purpose of organisations. What is it beyond profit that organisations are trying to achieve? And I think that resonates with us because as people, we think about the bigger things in life. It's not only making money, but it's what are we here for? Why, why am I here? What are we trying to achieve beyond climbing a career ladder or beyond profit? Um, that's certainly something that impacts me personally, and I think it's impacting increasingly a wider range of organisations. And I, I wonder if you could bring that integration to life a bit. Have you got any stories at work where that tension for either personal integrity or corporate integrity has played out? So, uh, somewhat tied by some confidentiality clauses, but not, notwithstanding that, um, there's certainly work that we have turned away uh, that particularly is tied in with organisations who may not necessarily want to be as open and transparent as what their publics might expect of them. Personally, I've made it clear to some of my colleagues that I wouldn't work on particular um, kinds of business that would compromise my faith. Can you give any examples? So particularly around the area of um, the unborn child, there are things that I would work for and, and things that I wouldn't. And 
what I really like about the firm that I'm currently at is that there's great respect for that. So they very much uh, talk about our own personal values and making sure that we can be true to those and whatever work we do. So if we're not comfortable working on something, then we don't have to, which I think is a very honourable way to act. And the media can portray things in quite stark ways, in blacks and whites, partly to draw out the drama and to create a simplicity within stories. Is that something that you find helpful, or how do you manage that desire for polarisation in a world that perhaps has shades of grey in it? I think it's increasingly challenging, Richard. I think not only are the media driving that, but as consumers of media, we are also partly responsible. Uh, You look at the differences in the generations. I was reading an article recently that said Gen Z uh, consume an enormous quantity of media so quickly that they have much less time to consume complex details. And I think that's why we are seeing, for example, in the political sphere, an increasing focus on short, sharp messaging, a lack of detail, a lack of complexity. And that's a real challenge because often the stories that we deal with and the organisations that I represent, there are certainly shades of grey. There's complexities in how you explain what happened in a particular incident. It's not always that someone was right and another party was wrong. Sometimes there's culpability on both sides and trying to express that uh, through the media who typically look for a villain and a good guy Mm. uh, is often quite a challenge. And how do you resolve that if there's the desire for reductionism on the part of the media and And yet playing to that reductionism might actually compromise integrity. And if the truth does lie somewhere in the middle, how, from a corporate reputation point of view, do you steer between those two? Well, I think the positive that we've seen through the media and social media and communication in the 21st century is that there are now more avenues for organisations to go down to talk directly to those Mm. who may have been impacted. So while in one breath I can be critical of social media platforms, they are also a very valuable tool to allow organisations to talk directly to the audiences that may have been impacted by something. There's also, because of media such as videos and podcasts, etc., opportunities for senior leaders and organisations, CEOs, C-suite, etc., again, to speak directly Mm. to people who are impacted, whereas historically that always went via the media. Now you can sometimes go direct, as well as needing to, obviously, put some kind of message through the mainstream media. It feels in contemporary uh, public conversation that forgiveness after an admission of fault is quite unusual. And yet, through your faith, you know that forgiveness is an everyday part of life and a necessity rather than a luxury. How do you reconcile the fact that there isn't much of a language of forgiveness within the media and yet your faith is suffused within. It's a real challenge and I think increasingly we are seeing such high expectations put on companies and individuals and so then when something goes wrong, forgiveness is either non-existent or very short-lived. What we try and do is help communicate the wider context and the wider story to those who are particularly impacted by whatever has, for example, gone wrong and communicate all that an organisation is endeavouring to do to try and put things right. 
often we see particularly on social media with those who may not have been involved in whatever issue we're talking about they may hold a very strong opinion but are actually less close to the issue but we find that those who are actually impacted by the issue there is greater scope for forgiveness because they are more emotionally involved and I think a lot of it comes down to can I on behalf of organizations help to meet that emotion whatever that is if something's Mm -hmm. gone wrong if there's been a loss of life if a building has burnt down if there's been a a data breach whatever it might be how do i as the communication specialist help an organization meet the empathy needs of those who have been impacted by something Mm -hmm. and i think the more that we can focus on engaging emotionally from a communications perspective the more likely it is that we are looking to focus on things like forgiveness or that we see forgiveness as a result of that. And have you seen any particular stories either that you've worked on or perhaps more generally in the industry that exemplify that? Yeah, sure. I'm sure listeners will be familiar with the scandals that have hit the charity sector in the UK and also globally in the last two or three years. We've worked with one or two charities um, who have suffered as a result of a greater spotlight on the charity sector and how it operates. And we have helped organisations apologise for where they haven't um, perhaps had as tight a procedures as what they should have done. These are organisations who typically grow from something very small to become something larger and don't necessarily have, because they're charities, the proper procedures in place that they might otherwise would have. And there's a need to say sorry, but there's also a need to to go beyond that and demonstrate that that apology is real and it means something and what these organisations are actually doing Mm. um, beyond words. And that's what we worked on with with this particular organisation. It was communicating to celebrity ambassadors, to partners, to donors that, yes, they were sorry um, about these things that had happened, but also... Um, a commitment that moving forward Mm. they would do everything they can to make sure that these things didn't happen again. And did you see from a reputation point of view that be accepted? It's a slow process as it is with any kind of forgiveness even even when you're not talking about a corporate sometimes forgiveness is a is a choice um, that then results over time and particularly in crisis communications that's why we say there's no one statement which is going to be the silver bullet that's where people often misunderstand PR we're not trying to make things sound good for the sake of it but we're trying to put forward the best face of the organization based on what they are actually doing in an integral way another dimension of public discourse that seems to be slightly different in the last decade or so would you say that authenticity is almost more important than goodness or purity in reputational terms we would better know an open scoundrel than a whiskey priest where there's hypocrisy and double standards between public and private life I think that's absolutely right and I think that's because we would rather at least know and then we have an informed choice to make rather than make what turns out to be an incorrect assumption. Um, We also see, I think, a greater um, breakdown of different market segments. And what I mean by that is 
companies now don't don't talk to just one or two audiences. They don't think about people in their you know 20s to 40s with disposable incomes. They now think about what are the demographics who I need to talk to, whether it's 21 to 25, and they enjoy listening to this kind of music or they enjoy buying these kinds of things. And so in line with that, they might think, well, I, I like a CEO who speaks like this, or I like a CEO who is committed to sustainability, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. There's a broader marketplace for companies to go to and vice versa for consumers to look to to brands to, that they want to follow. I wonder if you give a sense of what are the most common causes of crises in communications? What do you get called into most often? We handle anything from cyber attacks to sustainability issues to food safety problems, corporate malpractice. Increasingly, what we see is issues with individuals. So it's this it's this moral piece. Organizations are held to a very high standard. And so when an individual within that organization falls short, there can often be a, a moral outcry. And we will get called in to assist with identifying how that should be managed with the internal audience, the staff, um, the media, partners, customers, etc. That's interesting. Do you think that there is a keener sense of morality now, or is it just a greater transparency and therefore a, a greater risk? I think there's a greater spotlight on companies now than there ever has been mm. through the advent of um, increased media, um, the 24-7 news cycle and social media. And that really has put the spotlight on all sorts of aspects of a company that we never saw before. It's a little bit like uh, watching a game of rugby. You watch a game of rugby in, in the 1990s, and as a, as a keen All Blacks fan, you know you could watch uh, the All Blacks demolish Australia, and you might not necessarily see everything that goes on in the scrums and in the rucks. True. And you know, by and large, there were definitely things going on that perhaps shouldn't have been. But now with the advent of 360-degree video technology with stop-start with, with the television ref, players can not really get away with anything anymore. And so it is with the media and companies. Also have the pleasure of watching England demolish the all-likes. Uh, no comment. <laughs> and we've talked about that desire for authenticity, honesty. I wonder if you've also seen perhaps the challenge of crisis communications where there's just been a straight desire for, well, almost revenge. And it's very difficult to satisfy just with the facts and being open. Yeah, absolutely. There's an increasing call for for justice um, in particular instances. And I worked on a case within the last couple of years, which was very high profile and involved somebody being released from prison. And there was a lot of conjecture as to whether that should happen, whether it shouldn't. And we were working with somebody that had an involvement in that particular case, which was not not really known to the public. And the public were really calling for harsher sentencing in this particular area. And it was a complex message that we had to navigate on behalf of our client because had it not gone the public's way, then there would have been certainly increased scrutiny and a real questioning of this particular organization's input. And what was most challenging about that particular case is that there are such complexities and it's a real challenge to try and communicate some of that nuance in the face of moral outcry and these great calls for justice that we see now in the 21st century. Mm. And the public image of the church too seems 
too have been dogged by scandals as with so many other institutions in the world. Does the church have a PR challenge? I think the church has a PR challenge to manage the issues, the historic issues and, and no doubt some current issues. And then I think probably do a slightly better job of communicating the truth of the gospel. How should it better do that? I think I think there's a lot to be said for authenticity. If you look at the life of Jesus, wherever he went, whoever he spoke to, he was he was real. He wept with those and mourned with those who were sad. He celebrated with those who were happy. And wherever he went, he was himself. And I don't know if the church has always been that. And I think it would be great if we were quick to apologise, but do so with authenticity and with empathy, and then celebrate all of the joys that are in the gospel just a little bit more. Do you think that institutions find it as hard or harder than individuals who apologise and to admit fault? I think increasingly institutions are looking to be more authentic because there's a cry for that from the public, I believe. Typically, I think they relied on their size to muddle through issues and assume that by their very size and scale, they would be able to navigate any troubled waters that they may have. Mm. But particularly in this day and age, whether they're a listed company or a small to medium-sized enterprise, fundamentally, they rely on the public and their customers and shareholders to grant them a license to operate. Mm. And increasingly, that license to operate is influenced by the decisions that they make and the apologies that they make when they make mistakes. And Nick, aside from the public image of the church, has the historical success of Christianity been down to good PR? One way to consider PR is that it's the spread of a particular message to those who need to hear it. And Christianity is a particular message. It's a message of love and hope and forgiveness and peace. It's a message that's true and should be heard by everybody. And so I think it's been that that has carried the gospel, if you like. It spreads because people have have seen it, people have built their life upon it and then shared it. It's it's the greatest example of word of mouth PR. Uh, You know, 2,000 years ago, there were no Twitter, no no Facebook, etc., to to share the good news. Um, it was all done person to person, based on the example of, of another man's or, or woman's life that that they were leading. And I think there's a recognition um, deep down, both in Christians and in non Christians, that we live in a in a world that's not perfect. And yet we saw in Jesus this man who claimed to be perfect, and who, from what we can see in the scriptures, lived a perfect life, and said, "There is hope beyond this life." And that's something we can all hold on to. If that's true, as indeed I believe it is, I think that's why the message has spread, because it is ultimately true. Nick, if there was one PR crisis from history that you wish you'd been involved with, what would it be? There's almost too many to choose from, and I think rather mournfully it's a far more recent one, and that is this issue of Brexit, which is polarising our country. And I feel really sad about the way that it is increasingly dividing the UK. And sadly, we are seeing an increasingly um, inflammatory language used by our politicians. And I think it would have been much more helpful three and a half years ago if there had been a lot more humility coming from our leaders, where if they were asked questions they didn't know the answer to, 
that it was okay to say that rather than give us vagaries or promises which were always untrue. And I say that of both sides. I would like to see a, a kinder language in Parliament and particularly an understanding that we don't necessarily know everything that we claim to know. Mm. I think a lot of people would like to see that, but equally I can't remember a, a politician that's ever been rewarded for saying, I don't know. No, exactly. Um, and I think that's part of the, the pressure that, that we as voters put on them. We expect them to know everything. And the list of people who have fallen by the wayside or fallen out of politics by trying to do the right thing uh, is somewhat endless. And I think perhaps we need to do some self-reflection when it comes to our own voting records as to who we elect into power. And Nick, for the reputation of PR as a field, is there any hope? What campaign, what authenticity can rescue the reputation of PR? I think there's a lot of work that's been done in the PR industry in the last decade in particular, in the UK and more broadly, where we are working with organisations increasingly around this idea of purpose. What is it that they are doing beyond profit? And I think the PR industry has really helped to promote that. And I would hope that from being involved in things like that and also walking away from businesses where we don't agree with their values, by taking those kinds of decisive action, we can say actually PR is here for good. Fingers crossed. Nick Daly, thank you so much for joining. 